Welcome to the LGBTQ business podcast brought to you by Titanology. This is the podcast for anyone who wants to beat overwhelm, gain clarity and start building a business they care about. Each week, Stefan de Vries discusses the practical strategies that members of the LGBTQ community can use to start, grow and scale their businesses because there's nothing better than living a life of freedom. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the LGBTQ plus business podcast. I'm here as always with Stefan, and today we're talking about niching down as the first response to overwhelm. So before we jump in, Stefan, how are you, man? I'm very well, Jamie. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to today for a couple of reasons. Two weeks ago, we spoke around the reasons why entrepreneurs run into being overwhelmed. And one of the things that I took from that conversation was that it's not exactly obvious at the start what you're offering and to who. And niching down feels like the single most effective conversation to have around it, to work out how we should best battle against that overwhelm. So just to jump in, what do you define as niching down? That's a great question, Jamie. There's a lot of stuff going on when we're talking about niching down. I think in the first place, it's about finding the people that you really want to work with, right? You have your idea, you have some idea of your offer as well, what you want to do, but who are you going to do it for? So niching down is finding that group of people you would love to serve. So you think of it initially in terms of a group of people? Yeah. In the end, if we're doing our business, whatever that is, if it's a service business, an e-commerce it's always about what we can give people as value, right? We want to either help people, usually, or we want to give them so they can feel better, so they can use it as well if it's a product. But it's really about that, helping a group of people that really relates to us as a person. Yeah, and there's two ways traditionally this goes, right? The most classic story in the book is, I just needed solution X, and I couldn't find it. So I had to make it. And I guess there, what you're doing is you're trying to serve effectively your avatar. Yeah, definitely if you're starting out and if you're feeling like overwhelmed, oh my God, like where do I start? Start with yourself. Start to think about all the problems that you have encountered the last couple of weeks, months, years. And yeah, what kind of solutions would you have for that? And what can connect with what you can do, your skill set, your desire, your passions, and start there. And then you have something that can provide something to other people that have the same problem, right? And that's where you start. Yeah, and there's a wrinkle in there too, because you can also ask yourself the question, okay, given the current solutions that are available, what are the limitations of those? Which is an effective way of not having to reinvent the wheel. Because now you can go, oh, well, that service is basically taking care of it. But wouldn't it be cool or wasn't it frustrating that it didn't have feature X or wrinkle Y? Okay, so that's the first method is you look at yourself as an avatar. What about entrepreneurs who are just entrepreneurial by nature? It's not that they have a problem in the mind per se, but they would love to do something creative and entrepreneurial. And it just feels like fun. Where do they start? If you're having the entrepreneurial mindset, then you have a lot of ideas constantly, constantly like, oh yeah, I can do this, I can do that. But in the end, I think I feel like it's always for almost the same kind of people in a way that, again, it relates to you. Like, 
I have many ideas about what I want to do. The who question is like, for who do I want to do it? It's always like the people that I relate with the most and that I feel like I really want to serve those people. And usually it's the same kind of people. It's the same group of people because that's where we gravitate towards. If you start with one solution, with one service for a specific kind of group of people, demographic or whatever the criteria are, if you add something else, another service, we are just actually helping them even more, the same kind of group of people. We can extend that group a little bit more, but in the end, the core, the core criteria of that group of people, of our niche, is the same. That's what I feel. Now, if you're looking at a completely different business, then you have to ask yourself, okay, if that again relates to what I do or what I would love to do, yeah, you can start with that, but always start with yourself. It's a really interesting detail because when I think of businesses expanding, I must admit, I think of them expanding to new avatars as opposed to, can I offer increasing value at a correspondingly high price point to my existing avatar that I know and love to serve? But the question is, Jamie, what is a different avatar, right? For me, a different avatar means like if we have somebody that has a dog, right? And then suddenly we have something that can serve them even better, but they must also have a cat, for example, right? How much does that change in sense of an avatar? Like the core person still remains the same, but they have a cat and a dog, right? The character traits of that person will be the same, more or less. So I always see it like just an addition, not a completely different avatar. Because also if you're an entrepreneur and you're building out your business and you're growing and you're reaching out to more people, the second that you actually want to serve a whole other kind of group of people, you have to change everything, your whole marketing, your whole messaging, everything. Instead of just adding some little pieces to your avatar that you would add as criteria and filter down, it's going to be much easier and less time consuming. It's also worth saying, at the point you're thinking about expanding in some meaningful way, things are going reasonably well and to some large degree, probably a surprisingly large degree, you understand your avatar and you understand their needs. And at that stage, to totally go into a new market with new customers where you don't understand beyond the very basic assumptions what their needs are, should be something probably you do with a lot of care. I mean, I know, speaking from experience, my understandings of the value of a podcast and the marketing benefits of a podcast and the time benefits of a podcast, the nuance of the different customer avatars is totally different to my understanding of it six months ago. And if you said to me, Jamie, you need to now start appealing to a totally different kind of business or someone with a totally different type of problem, I would be a little bit lost. Yeah, and especially when we're starting out, we really need to take care of this. We need to make sure that if we're doing our business, that we actually love serving those people. Again, if we don't love serving those people, there's going to be a lot of friction, right? So we need to find, and this is something that is called like the minimal viable audience. We need to find the right kind of people, even a very small 
piece of the full audience, let's say, right? Even if that's just 10 people that we can find that relates to that, well, that's your minimal viable audience. And if you can sell to them, then you have a, a product that you can scale towards more and more and more people. But if you want to sell this to thousands of people at once, like in a broad range, it's going to be very hard because there's a lot of competition already. You're not really being unique in sense of like, who do you target yourself? And it's going to be hard to cut through the noise. Okay, so that invites a very natural question, which is, how do you know within the world of, say, last week we used the example of bowling, you want to be a bowling teacher. Now, in the world of bowling teachers and bowling students, there's a number of different versions of the teacher and the service provider. How do you know which one you're supposed to be? In other words, how do you know in what way you're supposed to niche down? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it comes down there to thinking about, okay, who needs this the most, right? What I have to serve, what I have to provide as product, as service, who needs this the most? It's about finding a crowd, an audience that is underserved and that is actually starving for the solution that you have. Because that is the best way to make sure that you can sell more easily, right? So thinking about that kind of example, what kind of people are having a specific problem that is not being served by the other trainers around you? So it's a little bit of a competitor research as well, because you need to be unique, right? You need to find that uniqueness within what you do. That is one thing. Are they underserved? And then are they really having that desire to get that solution? Because you can have something really brilliant that is for an audience that is not being served the right way right now, but if they don't want it, it's going to be hard to build a business around that. So effectively, the thing that dictates how you niche down is what are the unmet needs of the existing customer base? Absolutely. And this is something that you need to figure out as soon as possible. If you wait too long, you're going to lose a lot of time and resources and trying to sell something and putting an offer in front of an audience that doesn't want it or that already has getting it from somebody else that they perceive as better. So it's really a combination of a lot of things here, right? And you have to be careful in the beginning. Once you have your idea, make sure that you really know exactly who you want to target and that you make sure that you're almost the only one that is serving that audience with that specific solution. Yeah, it feels like that's especially true at the start. Because if you build a base and there are people who are receptive to you, you can then think about broadening out. But anyone who started a small business knows you feel fucking insecure about your business until there's three, five, ten paying customers who regularly appreciate what you're producing and the initial instincts to feel I'm not serving a big enough number of people here with my product. Hypothetically, it's just too niche is a little bit of a misnomer because there are always three, five, 10, 15 people who need your service and you can worry about the other hundred thousands in three months time. Yeah. It's what we said like last time as well. Like we cannot serve everybody. 
right? Even people like Tony Robbins cannot serve everybody. So there is always a place for you within the market. It's just about finding the right kind of people at that time. And also think about this, and this is a mistake that I have made in the beginning, like even with Titanology, we try to serve business owners, just that. But that's too broad, right? And then it becomes really hard to convince people to jump into Titanology because it's just the same as everywhere else. It was only like at the time that we decided to bring it down, to niche it down for the LGBTQ plus community, that it started to make more and more sense for people to join this. Because this, what we are building with Titanology, did not exist. We are very unique in some parts. And that makes it more easy to get people on board because they cannot find it anywhere else, right? Yeah, and there's something to be said here too. Have you seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? Catch Me If You Can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so this wasn't included in the film, but the guy who the premise of the film is roughly that he pretends to be a whole bunch of things he isn't qualified for and avoids being found out. He teaches at some point a university class in sociology. And he was asked upon being caught, how did you know what to teach? And he said, well, I was just needing to be one chapter ahead of the class. And there's something to be said here when you're starting a business. You're going to look at people already doing it in a high quality way. And you're going to think, Jesus, I don't know nearly as much as them, which is true. However, as long as you are one step ahead of the people you're serving, you are genuinely providing a service. The same service, in fact, basically, that somebody who knows five times as much about the topic as you do would provide, because they need to go from zero to one in any case. And I want to bring that in here, because when you're starting a business and you're thinking about your niche, it's very easy to think about niche only in terms of category of offering. But you'll have a niche geographically. You'll have a niche temporally. You'll have a niche given your demographic. And it's there that I think, well, I don't know what I'm doing compared to Tony Robbins starts to become a barrier. Mm. Yeah, there's so many criteria that you can add to a specific audience to find your niche for sure. And the more criteria that you add, the more specific you're going to be able to get to a specific audience and it's going to be also easy to target them. Now, if you feel like you're still having the same kind of audience that other people do, another good thing to think about is what makes you unique, right? And oftentimes it's just your story, what you have gone through, like your experience, your process that you have established across the couple of years. And just adding that little piece to your offer or even to your niche will make sure that you're almost the only one that is providing that service. And I think people need to spend more time on that and be aware of that instead of trying to do what everybody else is doing. Can you give an example? Well, the example is like within the Titan Hustler Academy, we have one of the students that is doing nutrition coaching, right? His story is about how he was able to overcome his overweight in just six months, right? So his whole initial offer is just about, I'm going to help you with nutrition. I'm going to help you lose weight. I'm going to help you this and this and that, like almost everybody, right? But what he added afterwards was his own story, first of all, like how he did it himself, 
not through whatever was already available, and the fact that, for example, he has a master's degree in nutrition, right? Just that fact, being a master in that kind of field, makes it unique to his offer. Something that other people also might have. But then, if that is still the same, then you look at, okay, like you said, geographically, he is from Germany. So you can say, okay, more European-based, right? Or you add some more things to that. As long as you can come up with more criteria that you can add to your niche to make it as unique as possible, that's the right way to go. It's also a little bit of a cheat code because the fact he's in Germany doesn't necessarily, beyond the obvious, make him more acutely aware of Central European weight loss needs. But it feels like he is, you know? It feels like, oh, well, this is for German people, even though that's kind of a novel fact in some ways. Yes, I'm German, I speak the language, my network is German. If you're a buying potential customer, it feels like, whoa, this is specialized for German people, which is great. Yeah, you can relate more easy to them, right? But it doesn't require to be German. People often see it as well, like if you're from another country, that is already unique by itself because you have a specific accent, maybe you have that kind of a story where you're coming from. And as much as you can add some story elements, your uniqueness to what you do, the more that you're going to attract a specific kind of audience. And that's your niche, right? So if people don't relate to that, think about would you want to work with them? And oftentimes it's like, well, maybe. And I know like, especially in the beginning stages, people want to help everybody. But having a niche doesn't have to mean that you have to exclude people. Just as like we say it's for LGBTQ plus people, but if somebody comes along that is not supposed to be part of that, if they want my help and if I can help them, I put the criteria and if I want to help them, then I would have no problem doing that, right? Are they part of the niche at that time? Maybe not. But having a niche is, first of all, to be able to create an easy way to target people. It's important to do that, to create a message that relates to people. That's what it's about. Having a niche is about that, creating the right kind of message for the right kind of people. And beyond using yourself as an avatar, how do you find out practically what people's needs are so that you can relate to those needs? <laughs> Yeah, and this is something I tell a lot of times. I speak about this often, but it's as simple as just talking to people. If you know where to find your niche, you know where they are gathering, like it's a Facebook group or using an Instagram hashtag that relates to your niche, or it's on LinkedIn, a specific filter that you want to use. Do that, find those people, find where they are and start just talking to people, right? And at what stage, so let's say I set up my tennis coaching business today and I'm trying to find a niche for myself as a tennis coach. At what stage in my marketing, in my initial conversations, am I presenting myself as a tennis coach for XYZ people who want to achieve ABC? And what stage in the process am I doing that? Well, I believe that once you have found your niche and you've thought about it, it's about testing. So as soon as you can, reach out to those people and try to offer what you have, right? 
getting the feedback early and often from your test audience, from your testing niche, is very important. Because if your niche gives you the feedback that they don't want this, then you have to rethink about either your offer or your niche, right? There might be a disconnect between those two. But as soon as possible, immediately, if you have an idea, just talk about it to people that are around you in your own circle and see what the feedback is. Because it's the feedback that will allow you to get more improvements on your offer, on your niche and whatever. Often in the first instance, if you can try this out for free, off your service for free or at costs, and then have the evidence of it working and the feedback of what works and what doesn't work, that's advisable. But I think, you know, there's a significant body of thought that says don't work for free. Where do you sort of fall and what are the variables? Yeah, I think there you have to think about what is a good value exchange. That is something that I have often done and still do. Finding people that can offer you something and you can offer them something and trying to set up a collaboration. Now, of course, if you're just providing products, that's a little bit hard, but then you can use free samplers like you said, right? Free samplers, or if it's a service or a course, it can be a free trial, right? It can be only a subset of what you're offering. It can be like one week worth of service. All of these kind of things that you can add to make sure that you can get the right kind of feedback. But I think initially, even before giving them access, is doing your market research in a way that you ask questions about what you have and how that would be valuable for them. And if you get that feedback, then you're already seeing what is possible. It's what they say, right? It's pre-selling. If you have an idea for a course, for example, before you even start creating the course, you need to have feedback from the audience that they actually want this. Because if you are creating something that nobody wants, you just wasted a lot of time. So don't do that. Ask feedback first for what you have or what you might have. And then if enough people react to that or give you positive feedback, then start creating it. And that's how they do it within the e-commerce space as well. They give a lot of teasers, like they even just create mock-ups, images of the product, like, would you want this? And if there's enough response to this, okay, let's make it, right? I mean, that doesn't stop here, right? The process of getting feedback and implementing feedback is one of the least spoken about parts of running a small business. But the advantage of running a small business is that you're lean and you can implement feedback fairly quickly. And it's probably the single biggest advantage you have over big firms. It makes sense, right? That implementing feedback in your niche is going to be a big thing while you're trying to work out what that niche is. Yeah, 100%. And I come from the corporate world where I've used a lot of agile principles and one of the things about Agile is that you can improve your processes, improve your messaging, improve whatever you're doing, like it's content marketing, it's your offer, whatever it is, you can constantly improve and you should constantly improve, but you should do it as quickly as possible. It's a good idea to run sprints. That's a common thing within Agile is to run sprints. And that can be a sprint of a week which means that you test something out in the beginning of the week, a messaging around your offer, or you reach out to specific people about your niche. And by the end of the week, you measure if it's working or not. And that might be a small sample. You could say, yeah, but that's not enough data to start improving things. 
But we're a small business. We don't need thousands of thousands of results here. We need just a small parts, 10 people that we can reach out to that give us the feedback about, yeah, I want this. This is a good idea. Just that is enough to keep going. And we can add something to that. And then the next week we reach out to 10 more people and so on and so on. So the continuously improving part, especially as a startup, as a starting business, is so crucial. It's so, so, so important. And you shouldn't be scared to do that. You shouldn't be scared to switch or to change directions a little bit, right? It's also worth noting here that when you're getting feedback on, one question you can ask very directly is, what would this have to look like for you to want to spend this amount of money? And give the ball very much to the potential client and say, is there any version of this that would work? Are you my client's customer at all? Okay, you could be, but it would have to look like X, Y, Z specifically. And once you have enough data points to go, oh, this would have to look this way in order for me to part with a thousand pounds a month. Well, you can then go, okay, is it feasible to make it look this way? Do I have experience in making it look this way? What are the costs in making it look this way? Yeah, and I think that talking about all of this, I think people start to see that how integrated or how much it's intertwined between your niche, your offer, your messaging, it's all intertwined. You cannot think about your niche without thinking about your offer, without thinking about your messaging. It all has to make sense together. But starting with your niche is the first thing for sure, always. It's so, so, so important. What do you perceive the biggest barriers to be? The barriers for niching down, being scared of not attracting enough people. People think that the more people that I can reach, the more sales that I will have. Always. I think that's the first mistake that everybody makes if they start a business. Let's just do it for everybody because there's millions of people. So that means we have millions of opportunities. Well, yeah, it's not true. We need to serve only a small support. We need to find the people really that relates to what we're doing. If we cannot do that, then we have no business. If we cannot attract the right kind of people, we will be broke. <laughs> it's worth recognizing different business structures here too. For 99.9% .9 of businesses, they're not a Facebook or an Instagram or LinkedIn where what they're doing becomes more valuable the more people use it. And even in those cases, most businesses that exploit network effects can still benefit from exploiting network effects in the context of their niche. So I think there's sometimes a little bit of a misnomer around, well, I would niche down, but really the product, the value of what I'm offering expands the more people who use it. And the response, I guess, is that can be equally true within your niche. Yeah, it's always true. I mean, even if you're talking about the example of Facebook, Facebook is for everybody, they say. Well, how did they start out? If people look for the story and, and if they see in the movies and whatnot, they see that Facebook started as a network within one university. One, right? So that was their niche, just university students. And it evolved from that. Airbnb, just the same. How did it start out? Airbnb started in one city, one. Before they even went to the complete USA, right? The whole country, before they did that, they need to make sure that it would work in one city. That was their niche, that one city. And as soon as they figured out that this is going to work within one city, you can easily scale that to the whole country, right? And that's how you have to think about it. 
That's why we call it the minimal viable audience. Start with that and then figure out ways to easily scale to more people. Yeah, it's a brilliant Petri dish of the types of needs, types of problems, types of frustrations clients have. And once you have the formula down, the templates down for that niche and that Petri dish, well, now we can talk about expanding, but probably only then. Yeah, you don't want to be able to serve thousands of people in just like even the first year of your business because you're just going to break down. It's not going to work. You're going to get burned out. It's better to have like 10 customers at the start, 10 really ideal dream customers within your niche that are super happy about what you do and that can talk to 10 other people about it. That will create that network effect. That will create that point that people will come to you from that same kind of niche. And then you can add something that might link to another part of an audience. But before that, please just start small, start with really the niche where you're almost the only competitor. Because if you're the only competitor within your niche, you can charge whatever you want. Well, it's worth saying too, when people are referring their friends to a service, you have to give them something that's relevant to them. And hearing, oh, this is a bowling coach for Germans who live in Turkey. Oh my God, where do I sign up? Oh, I've got a bowling coach. Sounds like a generic upsell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so easy to target those kind of people that you just first mentioned, because you only need to search at that specific spot for those people. But essentially, you're a bowling coach. So whoever comes along after that, and they see the work that you do. I mean, people don't really necessarily need to know exactly what kind of specific niche you're targeting. Like I could say LGBTQ+, that's a whole range of people, but deep down, I wanna work with specific people that have a specific business. But because of the results that you give your specific niche, it kind of relate to a lot of other people that are not necessarily part of your first initial iteration of your niche, let's say. Just having that social proof will attract whoever you want to attract and you can broaden that. So yeah, I think it's spot on, Jamie, that it all starts with providing excellent customer experience for a small group of people that can talk about it with, to their friends and whatnot. And then you can start looking beyond that. Yeah, and just to recap that first point again, if you want to find out how to niche practically, step one is to talk to people. Yeah, 100%. Talk to people to see what is their feedback, right? If you are having a hard time finding those people, just scratch one of the criteria so you get a bigger audience, right? If that's hard, then scratch another one. But really don't be afraid to niche down until it hurts, right? That's what they say, because if people are looking for something specific, that relates specifically to them and you can provide that, the people that are looking for that will be much more inclined to buy that because they know exactly it's for them, right? So yeah, you have to figure out as soon as possible from your audience that this is what they want. Stefan, I really appreciate this chat. And you know, as we're talking, I'm thinking, this is something I need to think about sooner rather than later. So as always, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, Jamie. 
Awesome. Thank you for listening to the second episode of the LGBTQ plus podcast. That was the first episode in our series about beating overwhelm. And I hope there was something in there about niching that is practically helpful. And with that, we'll see you in two weeks time. So thank you for listening to the LGBTQ plus business podcast. We're available on the podcast app of your choice, as well as on YouTube as a video podcast. For more information on how to turn your side hustle into a real business, visit us at titanology.world.